I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. Hey, welcome back for another episode, folks. We are once more broadcasting from the North End, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, the great state of uh, South Dakota where under God the people rule. We have been busy lately at the South Dakota Catholic Conference, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today. We uh, just last week, August 10th, uh, Feast of St. Lawrence, Deacon and Martyr, the bishops of South Dakota published a statement regarding COVID-19 vaccination requirements. This follows on a statement they published last December, December 30th, um, concerning some of the moral aspects of choosing a COVID vaccine. Encourage all listeners out there to go and check out these statements. Uh, Take a look. Um, you'll see in the most recent statement, one of the, one of the core features that the, the bishops focus on in their, their teaching is this, uh, what, the, the nature and essence of conscience, what it is. And you'll see that one of, the, one of our prime duties that we have with regards to our conscience is to form it, to form it well in accord with, with right reason, the good willed by God. So part of that, I, I think we can say, is, is reading those statements and really being um, aware uh, of, of what it is they're saying. We're going to dig a little deeper into this topic today. Excited to have a guest on the show who has, uh, I'm happy to say, a lot of expertise in this topic. Welcoming Cameo Anders. Cameo is a lawyer, a graduate of the Ave Maria School of Law. Also has a bioethics uh, certificate from the National Catholic Bioethics Center and a Master in Arts in Theology. Cameo has uh, taught uh, ethics at uh, a medical school and has also sat on an ethical review board at a uh, major hospital. Cameo, welcome to the program. Thanks, Chris. Well, really excited to have you with us today. Um, You know, this is, I think we can, I think it's fair to say this is a hot topic. You know, this is something that people people are talking about in society, so I think it's going to be really helpful to just dig a little deeper. Um, You know, one of the one of the things that's that's coming up, I think, where the rubber meets the road for some people as they're, you know, forming their consciences, trying to uh, walk through, you know, what is informed consent as the bishops kind of lay out some of the principles there and collect all the information that, that they need to make good informed decisions. You know, where the rubber meets the road for a lot of people is in a relationship with their employer. So what... Um, Cameo, as as people are kind of thinking through that relationship, when we start thinking about some of the civil legal requirements that are on employers, where do we begin? Yeah, great question. Thankfully, it's not a new question. It's one that's existed since, I want to say, 1965. We've been dealing with this under Title VII of the uh, Civil Rights Act. So where do we begin? I, I think we just begin where we've always been. Uh, there's There's an requirement to accommodate to a certain degree that's reasonable, and we follow that same structure that's in our law already. So, for example, with these vaccinations, um, first of all, just, you know, thank you to everyone who's dealing with this issue, to the healthcare workers, to the first responders, but also to those who are struggling with it. Um, it's it's a, a brand new area uh, in history that we're trying to struggle through together. So um, first of all, maybe we begin by just extending grace to those around us mm. um, and an understanding that we all do have an obligation to the common good, but we 
all also have to look individually at what um, what is a reasonable step for us. So how do we balance that? Um, after beginning there, then I think we would look at those who are, I guess, um, taking religious exemptions or opting into them. Um, you know, what is a religious exemption? Um, we know from history that a religious exemption is a very minimal threshold to meet. It has to be sincere and it has to be religious in nature. That standard doesn't change now that we have the pandemic. So these kind of two, two requirements, that it be religious in nature and that it be sincerely held. I mean, could we take from this that it, it would be improper under the, uh, under the law for an employer to inquire like further beyond that, to expect more than just this sort of these basic two things, that it's sincere and that it's, it's religious in its character? Sure. So there's some guidance out there that says if there's a question of the sincerity, you know, maybe if this person has, um, you know, now claimed sort of a, a Muslim religion, but they've never claimed that before, you you could look into the sincerity of that, that but you can't look into the veracity of it. Um, so the employer could say, well, you know, is this a sincere belief? But it's it's subjective. The employer doesn't decide if it's sincere. The employee may have to explain why it is sincere, but it, um, so sort of a two prong standard, is it sincere? You, you assume that it is, unless there's something that would tell you otherwise. And then religious, is it religious in nature? Um, that's a, a very minimal threshold. You don't, the employee's religiousness doesn't have to conform to a religious group. It doesn't have to, even if they say, I am part of a religious group, I am a, you know, Catholic. It even doesn't have to conform to the tenets of the Catholic doctrine, um, which is interesting. I, I think that that makes people uncomfortable, but that's been our standard for a long time. Well, and it seems to me too, that within that, there's just something of this, um, American magnanimity towards religion just it yeah. is like inherent within our national cultural identity is this real just generosity towards people's religious faith is that something you detect as well I think that's a great way to say it there's a generosity towards faith and towards allowing people to live their faith um, that's a huge part of why our country was started it's our first amendment so a freedom of religion and a religion that's subjective, not objectively imposed or determined. And there, there too, I mean, just, I mean, that's within our sort of American fabric, but also we could look at, at the constitution um, and various clauses in that that would protect this magnanimity in various ways. So it's not just um, a cultural thing, it's actually enshrined in our law and then further reflected in this civil rights act, which I think is important to note that, um, you know, freedom of religion, it's a civil right. It's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really important. So um, I think I want to point out too, I don't know if you'd heard this, but I am hearing already of employers within our region that uh, people are making, making these claims. They're asserting um, these, these rights and employers are dealing with them really generously. So as you said, you know, just dealing with one another with, with grace and generosity, I think 
Um, we're, we're seeing that all around right now. What's the next, what's the next step of, of analysis sort of under the law if, if somebody makes a claim for one of these exemptions? Right. So I think, you know, first step, if, if you choose to make that claim, that claim should be respected. Um, if it is sincere and religious in nature, the, you know, who, who screens the sincerity and the religiosity, if that's a word, um, it's, I, that's a big question. Do we want employers to start screening the religiousness of our beliefs? And that's never been a duty of theirs. And it, you know, are we, it, have they been given that duty now because of this public emergency? And I, I think no. So, um, so once that religious exemption is claimed, it should be respected unless there's something that would, you know, speak to its um, sincerity or religiousness. Then the second step after that, the employer does not have to just, you know, accept that they could, they have a duty to reasonably accommodate it to the, um, to certain degree. So what is that degree? I think is the big question. How much do they have to reasonably accommodate a person's religious exemption? So if there's you know, a nurse in the ICU and they claim a religious exemption and maybe now they're increasing the, um, you know, hazard to those around them, then they could possibly be transferred to a different unit. They could, um, we have some examples in our law that, that have been dealt with before and reasonable accommodation. Um, maybe they've, you know, had to work on a different day or rearrange schedules or, even um, sort of make a workspace more compliant with a person's religious uh, needs. Reasonable accommodation has never in the past been automatically terminate because someone has claimed a religious exemption. I think that would be a dangerous place to go. Sure. So, so if a person is making one of these claims for an exemption to a requirement um, to vaccinate that they with religiously informed conscience can't do, they claim an exemption. The employer then has a duty to offer an accommodation. And I think um, some of the things that we're beginning to hear about out there, out there are, okay, wear a mask in certain circumstances, maybe be tested for the coronavirus. Um, one of the questions that I think has come up too is, you know, as people are still Science is always a moving target. It's always developing. We're always learning more. One of the questions I think has come up too is um, for people that have had COVID in the past and have some level of antibody present in their uh, present in their body. Have you heard any consideration of whether that might be uh, an accommodation proving proving that up? Is that have you heard any talk of that yet or? Um, I don't know if it's specific on point to that, but there has been a question of, you know, can you force someone to disclose their medical records? So for example, the fact that they're vaccinated, the fact sure. that they have an antibody, the fact that they don't have an antibody, you know, then we're kind of playing with some HIPAA compliance issues and confidentiality. Um, so yeah, the science, as you say, do we have good science where we can rely on it? Um, I think it's getting better, and I'm grateful to all those who are are you know striving towards that goal day and night. Um, science aside, I think 
you know, what can people be forced to um, disclose? I don't know if that question has been answered well either, but we do know that the question of can you force someone to, you know, disclose medical treatment, that has to be a voluntary disclosure. Mm. You know, to to step back for a minute to this question of um, employers screening for religion, you know, we've, I think it's kind of well established in the American mind and in our law too that that governments um, go- governments shouldn't be in the place of sort of ascertaining the um, you know the validity of somebody's religious belief. But for an employer too, the question has come up cameo for people for people in these situations that they're kind of difficult. You know, they're wrestling with things in their own conscience, with their faith, in their relationship with their employer. Um, Wanting to, wanting to preserve sort of a generous approach all around, the question has come up. Well, should I have my, should I ask my priest to sign a letter for me? Um, what do you, what do you think about that question? Yeah, that's. Um, you're doing a great job, Chris, throwing all these difficult questions at me. Thank you <laughs> for that. Uh, it is. It's a tough question. Um, since the beginning of our religious freedom cases regarding vaccinations, I'm going to say like 1906, I could be off on that a little bit, but it's, I mean, it's, it's well-founded in our law that there could never be a question of the veracity of the religious belief. So if an employer is requiring um, a priest or a pastor or some official religious leader to sign, then why is it to prove the veracity of the belief? I then that's inconsistent with what our law says now. Um, the question, you know, should or shouldn't priests sign someone's letter? I, I don't know if I could answer that, but it would be inconsistent in the law to require them to require some sort of priest signature in order to prove the veracity of the religious um, exemption. So a religious exemption is valid without. A pastor's signature, and and to have that signature um, blank on maybe an employer's form for claiming a religious exemption, I think goes against what the law has been throughout history. So, so for people who are who are thinking about that, um, you know, and well and well intentioned, and and there, are, I guess, fairly valid reasons for them to be thinking about this. But at the same time, if I'm kind of understanding things right, it would actually, it might foster a precedent that that would narrow the scope of religious freedom and civil law. Am I understanding that right? Yeah, I, I think we would probably revert back to, you know, when this issue had been hashed through in the very beginning, where in the past uh, that had been a requirement. You need to um, uh, adhere to a religious tenant that, you know, and then there needed to be some sort of proof of that veracity of the religious tenant. I'll keep using that word because our Supreme Court cases use that word over and over. Um, And continuously, the law has stepped in and said, it's not our job to determine that. So there have been cases where, for example, in schools or even employers in the past have required, um, you know, a pastor's signature or priest signature. Um, there's been cases where they've required expert testimony in court in order to prove that your your religious belief is accurate. Um, I think we would be 
reverting back to those cases which have already been, they've already been overturned. So uh, I wonder too if, you know, we, we talk a lot about, there's this phrase thrown around to step outside of the civil law sort of realm for a minute. We hear this phrase missionary discipleship too. And I wonder, I mean, what do you think if, am I right to think that maybe there's something too that's just like really healthy for the, the spirit of a person to, to really own it? And if they've got a belief to actually to share it with, uh, with their employer um, firsthand, not necessarily dependent upon, oh, I need so-and-so to sign something for me, but I can own this and I can share it. Am I, am I off base there? No, I think it does. Um, it does pro- provide a platform to speak about what you truly believe in, I, and those platforms are so uncommon today. Um, so, yeah, to step up and to own the fact that you do have a a well reasoned religious belief that is opposed to, for example, the human fetal tissue uh, derivative, um, or opposed to some sort of valid conscience, um, you know, process that you've thought through. It's, uh, yeah, there's, there's, I don't want to speak specifically to what religious beliefs are valid because then we're assuming that they're, you know, we're pigeonholing them into certain ones, but, but to have a sincere and religious belief, um, that's something that really cuts to the core of who we are as a person. Yeah. And to be able to step up and own that, I think, is important. And this provides a good opportunity for it. So so for people who are in this position of um, being asked by their employer, okay, you're claiming a religious exemption, say a little more. Um, would it be good counsel to, to say, to write something in the first person? Um, and there are a lot of things out there that one can look at. We obviously have the catechism. We've got the, um, for South Dakota Catholics, we've got the statement from the Catholic bishops, the National Catholic Bioethics Center has sort of a template letter out there. But is that is that fair advice to, to give somebody to write in the first person and, and just speak, this is what I believe? I, th- I think so. Um, you know, the a lot of different employers have their own template that they've provided. And so do you need to you know, follow that template. I, I can't speak to that. Um, but, but to use that, that moment, even if it is an employer template to expand on, you know what, this is really my belief and, and to have it be a person to person interaction, um, you know, just a, an opportunity for a relationship where you can explain to your employer, um, or your as an employer, you can, listen to your employees on what's really close to their heart. Yeah. I like that idea of a first person letter. Hmm. So this seems that, um, you know, there are kind of passions on this issue. There, there are strong feelings uh, all around. We've, we've been through a lot in the last year and a half as a, as a nation. And I think I kind of think sometimes of, um, you know, it's it's late at night. The family's had a long day, and it's we're all just ready for for bed. Sometimes I feel like maybe we're in this place as a country. We're just sort of ready to, I don't know, be thinking about other things and have this behind us, and, and we're at like our wits' end. And now religious freedom becomes something of an inflection point, 
insofar as mandates, various mandates are proliferating across the country from employers and in some places from um, from governmental bodies. What do you what do you think the future looks like? Where does where does religious freedom go for here, or, or what what counsel would you have for us as we sort of um, kind of work through this this difficult inflection point as a country? Yeah, you know, if we think about what made America great in the past, you know, whether it was the pilgrims who came here or the people who struggled through you know, the depression or, um, you know, thinking back to my grandparents and great grandparents. And it's, it's the struggles that really bring out the best and the worst of us. Um, so what do we hope for, uh, you know, what do we hope to look back, um, you know, stand in the future and look back on this and who do we want to have been in this situation? I think we want to have been um, people who responded to each other well. I think we want to respect the hard work that is, um, you know, so many are sacrificing so much to try to get us through this. And so if someone claims a religious exemption, that's not an automatic disrespect for um, the safety of those around them. It's not an automatic disrespect for the constant um work and efforts that people are putting in. Um, but it's something that's weaved into the fabric of our country. It's something that people have fought for for years to solidify. Uh, so I don't know if I'm answering your question, but if we, if we stand in the future and look back on today, um, maybe just asking ourselves, who do I want to be? And am I respecting um, just what's weaved into the founding, the foundation of this country and religious freedom is a huge, huge part of that. Um, one of the things that, that you mentioned that maybe we could just touch on again, because this is something I know people are thinking about in the bishops there, as, as you mentioned, it's, um, these rights that we're talking about, they're not like narrow in a way that we can, um, pigeonhole every little thing, but to just maybe spend another minute on this before we close, cause it is really important. Um, I want to read just one of the bullet points. It's sort of a principle of of church teaching that the the bishops articulated in their most recent letter. And then see if you can maybe say a little more or articulate, um, you know, react to it. Here's what they say is there's a general moral duty to refuse medical interventions that are in some way dependent upon cell lines derived from abortion. However, such are permissible if there's a proportionally grave need no alternatives are available, and one makes one objection known. Even then, a well-formed conscience might decline such interventions in order to affirm with clarity the value of human life. And they're drawing this, um, as they say in their footnote, uh, it's a third footnote from Dignitatis Personae, the reasoning that's, that's in that, that beautiful uh, doctrinal document from the Vatican. Um, you know, what... What more might, might might you say about this particular point that I think is something that that's in 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 many Catholics' minds and, and other people could well. Yeah, good question. Um, you know, if we if we look at that dignitas personae, um, it's so well written that there there may be grave reasons why people need to be vaccinated, and obviously, you know, this pandemic is fits that grave reason. Um, 
And so there's lots of discussion about, well, the church says that, you know, it's not immoral to be vaccinated or that vaccines are, you know, um, acceptable or all sorts of different language out there. Um, but the language that you just referenced there and um, is that there's a duty to object to that use of human fetal tissue in whatever therapeutic um, or medical intervention. And so even though that um, tissue has been, you know, maybe it's from the 50s or the 60s or the 70s, or maybe it's we're using derivatives of it that are far enough removed that our cooperation is minimal or um, next to none, there is still a duty to object to it. There's still a duty to let people know that this isn't the way that medicine should be going forward. Um, so are we complying with that duty? You brought up just the, you know, the letter to the employer. I think that's a great way to object, to, to um, comply with that duty to say, this isn't consistent with my teaching. Um, this isn't consistent with my beliefs and I'm going to object to it. If enough people object, then it's heard. If nobody objects, then science probably continues down the road that, um, that it's going. So are we objecting to the use of, of you know, um, vaccines manufactured or produced? There's, you know, there's, there's levels or steps away from cooperation. Um, but, but the first thing that we need to ask ourselves is, are we objecting to it? Yeah. And then with that objection, we can choose to receive the vaccine for grave reasons, or if we do have some moral concern and if we've, um, you know, do we have a sincere religious belief that would be inconsistent with receiving that? And, and do I understand right too that um, these ethically problematic cell lines, uh, pharmaceutical companies don't need to use these. There's no medical or operational reason. There are other alternatives. Is that correct? Yeah, if I, you know, if I can rely on the work of, of others, I've heard that often too, that the um, products, the therapies, the treatments that have derived from adult stem cells are, are um, useful and they're efficacious and they're making strong, you know, strides forward. Um, so I, yeah, there's lots of literature out there that says they're, they're not necessary. We don't need to use... and and even not necessary, but problematic. So, you know, if you're using a, a cell line that's causing um, like a tumorigenic response in, you know, certain individuals or, so there's the science isn't 100% on the side of using the human fetal tissues or any cells derived from that. Um, you know, that's for the area of science, which isn't my expertise, just to, to be clear on that, but. I would agree with you on that. And for those who really do um, want to honor what the church calls us to is to express our duty to object, um, even if we're choosing to, to receive one of these vaccines or if we're you know, um, discerning not to, if you go to the Catholic Conference website under resources, um, COVID-19, there's a, a topic heading, urge pharmaceutical companies to stop using abortion-derived cell lines. And we've got a number of template letters for you to send to the pharmaceutical companies. You might even uh, carbon copy CC in those letters, perhaps uh, civil leaders too, so they, they know uh, where your objections are in conscience. Cameo, 
I'm really grateful for this conversation, and I hope we have a few on the show again soon. And thank you, dear listeners, as always, for tuning in. If you like this conversation, you can reach out, sdcatholicconference.org. Click contact us. Until next time, live well. Live well.